Powell Windows and Doors of Wisconsin's energy-efficient windows keep the cold outside where it belongs, lowering energy bills. Get 0% interest up to the year 2029 if you book by January 31st. Visit PowellWI.com. Certain restrictions apply. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the Old National Bank Talk and Text Line. Old National Bank. Get old. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. Hope you had a great weekend. Today is, of course, Martin Luther King Day, where we take a moment to sit back and celebrate the accomplishments and the goals and the dreams of Dr. King. Uh, schools are closed. There is no mail today, um, finance, no stock market reports. Banks are closed in recognition of a truly, truly great man. We've got Milwaukee Bucks basketball coming up at 1 o'clock, so an abbreviated program. So let, let us get right to it. There, there's, there's a piece in the local newspaper that, candidly, it, it demonstrates, again, one of the things we've been talking about, about the insidious nature, nature of, of bias. And the fact that it's not so much the fact that you have a story that is presented that has a biased slant to it, but it's rather the way a story gets chosen to be presented versus stories that do not get covered. So here's the deal. In today's local newspaper, there's a story by Molly Beck, who's one of their liberal reporters. And here's the first couple paragraphs. Wisconsin lawmakers will vote this week on a resolution that would add an advisory referendum to the April election ballot on whether welfare recipients should work to receive benefits. Let me just stop there. Obviously, if you put an advisory question on a ballot that says, do you think welfare recipients should work to receive benefits? 95% of the people, I think, are going to say yes. Anyhow, the story continues. A move made by Republican legislative leaders aimed at helping conservative candidates for the state Supreme Court by boosting turnout among their supporters. So, I mean, this this is the story. Republicans in the state legislature want to put this, gee, should welfare recipients who are able work because what they're trying to do is they are trying to use the referendum process and it is it's an advisory referendum as a way of juicing turnout for the state Supreme Court race the state Supreme Court race this April is probably going to feature a conservative candidate and a liberal candidate there's two liberals running there's two conservatives running my guess is that it will be one and one that emerge for this election so all right that that's it so the premise is this is what they are doing let us accept that as a premise here would be the note to send to molly beck okay where were your stories on all the other referendums for the last two governor elections Milwaukee County has had a referendum question that was exactly the same, the same language, asking whether or not marijuana should be legalized. Matter of fact, there are a lot of us who believe that that referendum on the Milwaukee County ballot and out in Dane County and in a couple other liberal jurisdictions, liberal areas across the state, actually helped elect Tony Evers over Scott Walker the first time. So this is something that was done. Milwaukee County not only did it in 2018, Milwaukee County put the same verbatim referendum on the ballot in 2022. Why did they do it? Well, the county board did it because they were trying to encourage people who want to see marijuana legalized to come out, figuring that they would be more likely to vote for some of the liberal candidates. In um, last November, Milwaukee County also 
had a referendum question, completely advisory, on the ballots, suggesting that uh, asking should we ban military-style far- firearms. Again, the only purpose of putting this advisory referendum on the ballot was an effort to try to juice turnout among liberal voters who they felt were going to be more likely to support banning firearms and things like that. They did it exclusively for that purpose. As a matter of fact, somebody can point this out to Molly Beck if she wants to write a piece, this April on the ballot, the same ballot where you're going to have the Supreme Court race, in Milwaukee County, there is going to be an advisory referendum that essentially says, should abortion be legalized? The sole purpose for putting this advisory referendum on the ballot, again, is to juice liberal voter turnout with the idea being the liberal supreme court candidate whoever emerges from the primary will clearly be if they're clearly sending signals that they are prepared to toss out wisconsin laws that restrict the rights of abortion now so this is a way of trying to juice turnout now you can argue whether it's ethical you can argue whether it's appropriate believe it or not in milwaukee county to add this one question to the ballot is going to cost taxpayers $16,500. You say to me, Jeff, how could it possibly cost that much? But it does because apparently it lengthens a ballot. So it's going to be $16,500 to add this question that has absolutely no impact at all. But it's done in Milwaukee County because they want to, the county board wants to, encourage people who might not otherwise come out to vote in a nonpartisan election to come out and vote for the liberal candidate. Now, again, you, you can argue whether it's ethical. You could argue whether it's an appropriate use of taxpayer money. But this is something the left has been doing in the state of Wisconsin for at least, I don't know, the last five or six years, using advisory referendums to try to juice turnout among supporters. Okay, that that's fine. But now that the Republicans are thinking about doing this, this is the story in the Journal Sentinel. Well, okay, I I think maybe you can make an argument that that's what the purpose is. Yes, it's designed to help boost conservative turnout. But if it was if it's so bad that the conservatives are doing it, where was all the outrage when the left has been doing it for at least the last three election cycles? Just asking. All right. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Old National Bank talk and text line. I have just a a general question, and I want to open it up to your reaction. A number of years ago, gosh, this goes back, it's 1988. 1988, I'm working in the U.S. Attorney's Office in the middle of the trial, go home, and I'm feeling like I've got the flu. I just, I'm, I'm feeling not good at all. And then that night, and it was a cold night in January, as a matter of fact, it just, it started to feel like something other than the flu. I started having this pain in my right side, and, and, and I knew it was kind of bad. So I said to my late wife, I said, you, you better, I think I better go to the hospital. There, there's something going on here. And so uh, she said, which hospital do you want me to go to? And I said, well, take me to St. Michael's, which is, we were living in Glendale, and that was, the, I think, the closest hospital to where we were. Well, I go in, and it turns out I had a, a ruptured appendix, and so I get in there at like 1230 or 1 o'clock in the morning, and they say, okay, by 630, you're, you're, you're on the surgical table. So um, we, we don't call my my parents, my mom and dad, were both alive at the time. And, you know, we're not going to call them in the middle of the night. There's nothing they can do at 3 o'clock in the morning or whatever. So my late wife... 6.30 in the morning or whatever, 7 o'clock, you know, she calls my mom. 
And my mom, her first question is, well, why did you take him to St. Michael's? And she says, well, I, I took him there because he, he told me there. Well, you shouldn't have taken him to St. Michael's. You should have taken him to Columbia St. Mary's. And then and this was kind of like not helpful. And then, then it's funny. My mom say, OK, well, who's the name of the surgeon? And she's making calls to try to find out who the surgeon is. And this is while I'm already being operated on. It was kind of like, OK, mom, this really isn't isn't helpful. But that, that's what my mom was. But she was unhappy that we chose to go to St. Michael's, which has been closed for a number of years now as opposed to Columbia St. Mary's down on the Lower East Side. I don't think my mom would necessarily feel that way anymore. If you haven't been following these stories, I mean, Columbia St. Mary's, which is, well, the St. Mary's hospital system, it's, it's owned by Ascension, and they have been in the news over and over again and, and not in a good light. There was a story a couple months ago about how Ascension was closing the birth center at their, their St. Francis Hospital. And essentially they said, well, you know, we, we, don't, we don't have people to, you know, birth babies there. You know, we've lost both of, our, um, both of our providers who delivered babies at Ascension St. Francis. Well, they, they've left. One retired, <clears throat> one departed the system. And there, there was no arrangements to replace them. The story last week is that Columbia St. Mary's, um, which is, of course, on the east side, has directed staff to postpone all elective non-urgent surgeries until mid-February or later. So apparently what's been happening is there's been a series of phone calls, people who had non-urgent surgeries, uh, uh, elective, but I mean, you know, hip replacements, knee replacements, I would imagine things like that, have been called um, and said, okay, everything is off the table. And it's interesting because apparently there's this memo that says, okay, when you're, it's out there that suggests a script that says when calling patients to reschedule, staff should stay positive and friendly, acknowledge it's an inconvenience, you've been waiting to have your knee replaced for all this time, but sorry, keep limping, and not to engage in speculation about why the appointment is being rescheduled as opposed to just honestly telling the patient, hey, this is why this surgery that you've had booked for three months has to be rescheduled. The memo suggests, okay, don't tell them why why it is, is being rescheduled. Now, this comes on the heels of a number of very, very unflattering stories, one in Milwaukee Magazine, big piece in the New York Times within the last month, talking about how the Ascension Hospital System has essentially for years been cutting staff in an effort to try to make money. And, you know, it's um, the, the headline on the New York Times story from about a month ago, how a spiraling hospital chain ignited its own staffing crisis. And it talks about how, you know, as recently as 2019, Ascension was trumpeting its success at reducing the number of employees per occupied bed. At one point, executives boasted to their peers about how they had slashed $500 million from the chain's labor costs. Um, <laughs> you know, and this is by, again, not replacing workers. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Now, in, in Wisconsin, and in southeastern Wisconsin in particular, we are fortunate to have a number of vibrant hospital chains. You've got Freighter, and again, you know, you know, full disclosure. I mean, I, I've been affiliated with Freighter for years and years. We do their everyday health features. I, I'm a patient at the Freighter Hospital System. You've got Aurora, and you have Ascension, which became Columbia St. Mary's. But Ascension, which took over Columbia St. Mary's, among other sort of hospitals. But you, you clearly have problems. 
I think, with the Ascension system. And it makes you wonder whether or not they're going to be able to dig out from these problems if you're in a situation where you're canceling all these elective surgeries, for example. You're closing the birthing center. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. So what happened? Is it as simple as they cut and they cut and they cut? And now they don't have enough doctors and nurses and support staff to, to do the job? And if so, how do you ever get back? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. I mean, what really struck me about this story is, is that Columbia St. Mary's canceling all, all these elective surgeries. And they're, they're suggesting a script to the doctors. Then they call up and they say, well, you know, don't speculate on why the appointment is being rescheduled. And I'm like, wait a second. If I'm pick out whatever the elective surgery is, if I'm on for hip replacement and I've been waiting for three months and I get a call saying, hey, your, your, your surgery is being postponed. I, don't you think you're at least honestly entitled to an explanation as to why this is? Is Don't speculate on why. Why don't you just tell the patient what it is? Is it that we don't have the staff to do it? How, how is the problem? Jeff, I worked at Columbia St. Mary's Intensive Care for eight years, 2012 to 2019. Each year it got scarier and scarier. We were told to do more with less, take heavier loads. We were mandated to work overtime and 17-hour shifts. I would say things first started getting bad in 2015, and since then it's been a constant battle between staff and administration to resolve our concerns. Candidly, I'm glad their problems are starting to go public. Chris in West Dallas. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Hi, Chris. So uh, I am am an ER nurse uh, full-time at a non-ascension hospital in the area, but I did pick up uh, what they call resource pool for Ascension for two years, uh, ending about a year ago with an Ascension where I would go to all the different Ascension ERs. And what I can tell you specifically, you were mentioning about St. Mary's, is uh, St. Mary's was kind of the tipping point where I realized, even though I was making a a lot of extra money to fill the holes that they had staffing-wise in their ER, the other cutbacks aside from staffing that Ascension was doing in terms of, like, materials and equipment that they're, you know, using in their facilities just made it so bad and so dangerous that I could, I just could not work there anymore. Um, and I will never walk into St. Uh, Mary's ER as a patient or as an employee or let any of my family or friends go there just because of how bad it is. Everything in that ER is either dirty, broken, or both. What's the answer? I mean, obviously, you know, that. We we need vibrant hospital systems, and clearly there are problems mm-hmm. going on. I mean, what what what's the answer? Is it more is it more money? Is what what? How do you solve this? Well, so there's there's you know it's a couple of, uh, facets. Uh, Ascension you can just look at from a money perspective because there's the Ascension CEO makes multiple multiple millions of dollars per year and then as the new york times article covered um that their executives were all louding about how uh they were getting you know huge bonuses based on you know the staff that they cut so that there's an upper level problem with that there's an upper level problem with how insurance companies reimburse um healthcare systems both pre-hospital and hospital um, the the reimbursement rates for uh, many things are just uh, atrocious to where um, hospitals, even when they do everything exactly right, uh, just can't make money on on that. Um, and then uh, just uh, over overusing, like just as a general public thing, 
the healthcare system is so strange because either just lack of knowledge or lack of resources, the public are using the hospitals as primary care. So you have right. a, a lot of general public going to ERs for stubbed toes or sore throats that they've had for weeks or, you know, chronic, right. you know, chronic like back pain issues instead of going to their primary care doctors, urgent cares, that kind of stuff. So then these, these kinds of non-emergency things end up going to the emergency room and then emergency rooms aren't reimbursed uh, hardly at all by insurance companies or they're, you know, being right. re- uh, reimbursed by like Title 19, which are totally low reimbursement rates. So then hospitals lose a ton of money that way. So it's a, really a, a multifaceted issue uh, where I think there needs to be some kind of higher level healthcare overhaul. Got it. Hey, Chris, thanks for the perspective. I appreciate it. Jeff, I worked for Ascension for 42 years as a nurse at St. Joe's. Started when the nuns ran it in the 70s. It was a stellar hospital. I'm thankfully retired now. It, it's so sad what has happened. Um, Jeff Ascension has been laying off workers for some time. Maybe they're thinking of closing St. Francis. I, I don't know anything about that. I just know that they've they've stopped doing like baby deliveries there because they, they say they don't have people to do this. And I guess, you know, this is... Uh, Jeff, while it is a business, hospitals are in the business of providing care, you would think that they would want to try to provide the best care in the world. You don't provide good care by cutting staff. Well, I mean, I I think this is becoming one of the – like the, the a secret that's now become open. And like I say, whether it's a story in Milwaukee Magazine locally or whether it's the New York Times story last month, you know, Ascension, just which is a huge nationwide hospital chain, boasted about how, hey, we're making more money because, you know, we're cutting employees and we're cutting employees. And I think then you get that, then you get the, you know, the explosion that happened with COVID. A couple of our texters are saying they wonder how many people that they lost because they they had that vaccine mandate. I don't know about that, but but it's a it's a problem. And when you have, for example, a major hospital that is now delaying elective surgeries and at least according to the Journal Sentinel story, in my opinion, instructing the doctors to not be upfront with the patients as to why. Because, again, that's if, if I got a hip surgery that's been scheduled for three months and I get a phone call saying, OK, well, we're going to do this in three weeks, Mr. Wagner. We, we can't do it now. We don't know when we're going to be able to give you a date. I don't think it's an unreasonable question to say, why is this going on? That's one of the issues. And, and I hope as somebody who wants to see good health care in this area, I, I hope that Ascension can figure out what the problems are and can figure out ways to straighten them out. And I, my, look, my guess is that it's just this stuff at Ascension is going public. My guess is that all the other hospital systems have challenges as well. It just appears worse. Welcome back. Milwaukee Bucks basketball at the top of the hour. In case you missed it, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. In case you missed it, I've got a a link to some of the the heated exchange. Uh, Ron Johnson, newly reelected to a six-year term, goes on on Meet the Press on NBC. And Chuck Todd, who is, of course the extremely liberal moderator of Meet the Press. He, this is not the first time they, they get into it, but the spat they had yesterday was really one for the books. Um, you know, Chuck Todd goes after Ron Johnson 
uh, talking Johnson's talking about hey about the media bias and the fact that hey we, we've done this investigation of Hunter Biden and then Todd of course deciding he's going to defend Hunter Biden saying well you know Hunter Biden hasn't been implicated in any crime and then Johnson tries to explain that what the investigation has revealed and uh, Chuck Todd wants absolutely none of that at one point in time telling Ron Johnson, Senator, look, we're trying to do issues and facts here. <clears throat> look, you can go back to your partisan cable cocoon and talk about media bias all you want. I understand it's part of your identity, which, I mean, again, it, it's this irony that you get from members of the liberal media elite who decide that, oh, how, how dare you talk about anything that we don't want to talk about. So you you can... You can see it for yourself. I've got a link to the story. My take on this was ultimately who's going to get the last word. Ron Johnson has a new six-year term. What are the odds that Chuck Todd's still going to be hosting Meet the Press in 2028? And we can decide. My guess is Ron Johnson's still going to be going on Meet the Press. My guess is Chuck Todd will have moved on to something else. Okay, want to completely and totally switch gears. Uh, Starbucks. And, and I admit, I have never gotten the Starbucks phenomena. I admit, I, I don't get it. I, I didn't see it coming in the mid-80s, the idea that people would spend 3 4 $5 and, and stand in long lines to buy coffee with some flavors in it. I, I didn't get it. Didn't see it. Maybe missed an investment opportunity or so, but that, that's okay. But clearly, Starbucks has been this incredible, incredible success. With the success of Starbucks, though, it's become an, a number of of different problems. And in some respects, Starbucks is a victim of its own success. Here is the latest story that's creating all sorts of controversy. And if you are a regular at Starbucks, this is a story that maybe you missed. Now, like so many other businesses, Starbucks has a member's reward program. You know, I guess you got the card or you got the phone number or whatever. And every time you, you buy an expensive cup of coffee with flavors or whatever, you get points. And and ultimately, if you get enough points, you can get a free cup of coffee or whatever. Well, Starbucks has, number one, just changed its reward benefits. And secondly, they've done it in a way which, to say it would not be transparent, would, I think, be an understatement. Here's the way the Washington Post reports it. Members of the Starbucks Reward Program, which lets users rack up points from purchases to redeem for free coffees and other items, are hotter than a steaming peppermint mocha over the coffee giant's scheme to make the plan less generous. Starbucks notified participants last month that the terms of its rewards club were changing on February 13th unsurprisingly not in enrollees' favors. And as people began examining the changes, they were none too pleased. Customers will soon have to redeem 100 stars for a cup of hot or iced coffee or tea, a baked good, or a packaged snack. Currently, these items are 50 stars. 200 stars will get you a latte or a frappuccino or a hot breakfast item up from 150, and three are needed for a salad, sandwich, or protein box, which are currently at 200. So they've jacked up the levels, you know, quite a bit. Many fans complained on social media, while some noting the Starbucks prices have also increased, making the rewards per program even less valuable to them. So in other words, the cost is going up, and the number of stuff, amount of stuff that you have to buy at the higher rate is going up too. The coffee chain raised its prices again in October of 2021 and again in January of last year. 
Really? 200 stars for a latte next year? All right. So on top of that, it's not just the changes that have upset people, but it's the way they did it. Apparently, Starbucks alerted customers on December 28th. If you were enrolled in this program, you got a two-sentence email. Starbucks Rewards is updating the terms of use for reward redemption starting in February. You can read the updated terms of use in the link below. Um, and then you have to click on the link to go to the company's website, and then you have to kind of follow down and read in the small print to tell you that the deal isn't as good as it, it used to be. And so people are not only upset that they're jacking up the, the totals, but they're also upset with the fact that they think Starbucks did this in a really, really sneaky way. Instead of sending the email out and saying, okay, we're updating our terms of use, here's the deal, you now need 200 points instead of, you know, 100 stars instead of 50 or whatever, they, again, tried to kind of hide that. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Now, it's no secret that rewards programs build loyalty. It's one of the reasons why, you know, people go back to different stores, whether it's gas cards or whatever, you, you get the, these deals, whether it's airplane cards. I mean, I, I have a credit card that I, I use, and I, I get points that I can use to redeem flights on Southwest. So, I, I mean, I use it. It's these loyalty programs that are important. But the more people that sign up, what happens is the more people then cash in on stuff, and so it becomes less and less profitable. Here, Starbucks is jacking up the amount that you need for a free cup of coffee. Is this going to hurt them? Are people going to get turned off, or is it just, okay, well, I need to drink a little bit more coffee to get my free coffee? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Starbucks is not alone. But they're one of the, they're the most recent company that has ended up doing this. These loyalty programs are the companies deciding to just get more and more restrictive. And is that going to turn customers off? 855-616-1620. We discuss in just a moment. Starbucks has just changed their their reward system and they've greatly expanded the, the number of items you have to purchase before you qualify for a free something under the rewards program. number of people are unhappy about it. I'm wondering whether you get to a point where does it end up hurting your business model? Jeff, I don't think you're too concerned about money if you're drinking $7 cups of coffee every morning. Well, I don't get that one either. Um, Jeff, I belong to the Starbucks reward program. They give you a drink on your birthday every year. Originally, they gave you a week to redeem it. Then they reduced it to two days, and now you need to redeem it on your birthday. They're not fooling anyone with their stinginess. Um, Jeff, I'm a Starbucks reward member. I got the email about this. The increase in stars needed is about 50. Yeah, it, it well, it if you want a free cup of regular coffee, it doubles from 50 to 100. Um, I think this is in line with other businesses also raising their fees and prices under inflation. I don't have a problem with it. Jeff, Starbucks did a rewards revision a few years back. It did not turn customers away. Then it will not now either. I do think it's disgraceful that they insist on sticking it to their customers. Jeff, I don't think it's going to affect them, but I've never understood Starbucks. I don't understand spending that kind of money for a cup of coffee that I can make at home for a whole lot cheaper. I, I don't I don't get the mystique of Starbucks either. I never have. Jeff, the people are hooked. They will pay. Jeff, one of the best investments I ever made was a super automatic coffee brewer. It cost about $1,000, but it brews all these great high-quality 
coffees. Coffees. Jeff, I don't understand the attraction of Starbucks. I see long lines of cars at the local store. Is it that people don't know how to make coffee at home? Um, is it a show that they can spend their money foolishly? Again, I, I don't understand. So, I, I mean, look, I, I get it. If, if you're willing to drop 5 and $6 for a flavored coffee, maybe the fact that they're really cutting back on the rewards program, they, they do it because they know that the customers are, in fact, loyal. Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think? Yeah, I don't understand the Starbucks phenomenon. Never have. Uh, probably never will. However, they are not going to lose one customer. Um, you know, the Starbucks was popular long before they had a rewards program. And um, like you said, other businesses have done it. I remember when you could get a free domestic flight for 20,000 miles, and now you can barely yeah. get one way for 20,000 miles. So I don't see this affecting Starbucks one bit. Yeah, Mike, thanks for the call. Well, I, obviously Starbucks figures that's going to be the case. One of the things that, that they, they to justify this, one of the things they say is that their rewards program has, has increased. You know, they've got more, it, and it's really, from a consumer standpoint, it's the ultimate catch-22. So Starbucks is saying, okay, we used to have X number of people. Now we've got X plus 100,000 people, so we, we have to increase the minimums to get stuff because otherwise, you know, we're, we're, we're losing profit margin. Because we, so the idea is the more popular you get, more and more people sign up, so it effectively ends up shafting, to the extent you view these rewards programs as shafts, if you increase the numbers, it, the, the people who are in there and participating, you've got all these points, okay, you're, you're now going to end up having to get more points. I agree that I think that the situation with Starbucks is such that people aren't going to care. People aren't going to notice. People want it. They've got this very, very popular thing, and so they're going to they're going to roll with it. So I understand that as long as that's going on, and then you know people are still going to be lining up. Just so you know, when you line up, you're not getting as much as you used to get. Milwaukee Bucks pregame coming up in well less than seven minutes or so. I, you know, over the weekend, I, th- th- more documents found at, at Joe Biden's residence. This, this whole document thing is just so mind-boggling to me. And you want to talk about self-inflicted wounds. First of all, as I was saying for months with the whole thing with Donald Trump, I, I don't get it. You know, once, all right, so you leave the White House in a hurry, you box up all this stuff, you take it along with it. Once you turn out that it turns out that you've got classified or top-secret documents, you, you have somebody come in and you say, seriously, go through this, find everything there is, and let's turn it over. That, that eliminates the whole problem and you say, okay, this was inadvertently taken. Oh, okay, Trump doesn't do that for whatever reason. Biden goes on 60 Minutes mocking Trump. Oh, I can't believe he would do this. And so now it turns out that Biden had done a similar thing, not identical facts, but Biden's been sitting on top-secret records. First of all, they find some at his office at the University of Pennsylvania. So they find some there. Then they find documents in his garage along with his Corvette. Okay, his press secretary comes out, says, okay, we've done this thorough thing. We've cooperated. It's, it's different. Then they find documents in his residence. Then the latest thing over the weekend, if you hadn't heard this, is apparently <clears throat> as they're going to retrieve the initial document that they found inside his residence. This isn't a document that they found in the garage with the Corvette. This is one in the house. Apparently during that process, they find 
five additional pages with classification markings, bringing the total to six pages discovered last week. So then they have to come back and they have to say, oh, you know, we we told you we had found everything. Well, no, no, there's still more that's there. I I just I, I don't understand how either Trump could let this happen or Biden could let this happen. You would have thought in November when they first discovered the fact that there were classified documents in Biden's possession from his days as the vice president at this office at the University of Pennsylvania, you would have thought at that point in time, you would have had lawyers or whoever that would have gone through the garage where the Corvette was and would have gone through the house and would have gone through anywhere else other documents could have been looking to try to find them. And apparently it didn't. And then, as it turns out, after they find more documents in the garage by the Corvette, you would have thought that you would have had people, instead of going out and saying, we found this stuff, we turned over everything, you would have thought you would have had an army of lawyers or whoever going through your personal residence trying to find stuff. It, it is this this drip by drip by drip. Oh, we found more. Oh, we found more. Oh, we found more. Now, look, I don't think Joe Biden is going to get indicted. I don't think he should get indicted. I don't think Donald Trump. Trump is going to get indicted. I don't think he should get indicted. I think the big story here is, first of all, the way both Biden and Trump decided to handle this situation. And and secondly, as I've been saying repeatedly, it is mind boggling to me that you can take out classified top secret documents, all these different types of things. You can get them. And there's no accountability. Nobody knows where it is. You don't have to return them. And then they find them years later. It's an embarrassment for Donald Trump. It's a huge embarrassment for Joe Biden. And politically, it's an issue that's going to hurt him if he runs again. Okay, that is it for me. Thanks so much for joining me for an abbreviated show on Martin Luther King Day. Milwaukee Bucks basketball is coming up. I am back 12 noon tomorrow. We do it all again with a full show. Have a great Monday. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.